0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, would you show yourself to us this morning? Would you speak to us directly that we might join with the the Samaritans in proclaiming that you are indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning we come to the final scene in the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And there are three details that we are going to consider this morning. An abandoned jar, an uneaten meal and then the unexpected declaration that makes sense of it all. So if you are a keeper of outlines, there it is. Abandoned jar, uneaten meal, unexpected declaration that makes sense of it all. So Jesus and his disciples are on their way from Jerusalem to Galilee. It's the middle of the day and they've stopped at a well outside of a Samaritan village. The disciples have gone into town to buy food for lunch, while Jesus, tired from the journey, has stayed behind at the well when a Samaritan woman appears to draw water. Jews and Samaritans don't get along, and Jewish men do not talk to women in public. So it's a shock to the woman when Jesus asks her for a drink. It's an even bigger shock when he flips the conversation on its head and offers her living water that will never run dry. Moments later, they're deep in theological discussion that reaches a climax when Jesus tells her that he is the Messiah who has come to set the world aright and bring eternal life. Well, at that moment, the disciples return from town with lunch. There's this awkward silence as they discover Jesus and the woman deep in conversation, She then makes her exit, returning to town to tell her neighbors about the man whom she has met, leaving her water jar as she goes. It's a detail that John wants us to notice. You see, this entire episode at Jacob's well revolves around the themes of thirst and hunger. It's about actual food and water and our need for both to sustain us. But in Jesus' hands, these become symbols for something deeper. There is an abiding thirst within each of us that we cannot quench on our own. And there is a gnawing hunger that we cannot satisfy apart from God. I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments when you got exactly what you wanted, only to find yourself... Strangely, even painfully unsatisfied. Well, I remember Christmas morning 1987 very clearly. When I unwrapped a set of gotcha paintball guns, I was ecstatic. I had begged for them relentlessly, beating my poor parents into submission. And now at last, the the guns were mine. It was 35 degrees and raining, but I marched my younger brother outside so that we could engage in battle. Now what happened next was as disturbing as it was disappointing. It took just a few moments to discover that the guns were junk. To realize what a waste of money they had been. To understand that I had been fooled by some slick advertising and I had tormented my parents along the way. I was angry. I was filled with self-pity. I was embarrassed. I got what I wanted. I got exactly what I wanted, but all it did was make me hungry for something else. I imagine you know this feeling. Everyone knows this feeling. We want something so bad we can taste it. We daydream about it. We plan and we plot. We save and we spend. Sometimes we cheat and deceive and manipulate. And when we get it, there is usually a moment of euphoria. And that pleasure is real, but it never lasts. After we have enjoyed it, there is always another thirst to quench. So we take the next path and we pursue it to the end, where momentary joy gives way to disappointment once again, and on and on we go. You see, we're thirsty people. We were made for something that we do not have by nature. We were made to be with God. We were made to walk with him, talk with him, and feast with him. But in our sin, we walked away. That sense of longing that we share, the thirst that we can never quite quench, that's our longing for God. We experience it in different ways, but we all share the same restlessness. As St. Augustine said in his Confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. When the woman at the well headed back into town, she left her water jar. It's a little detail that packs a symbolic punch. It reminds us of her thirst. It stands, I think, for all of the temporary ways in which she has tried to quench that thirst. As Jesus pointed out, she'd been married five times and she's now having an affair. And we don't know anything about those prior marriages, but it's not unfair to say that she has spent most of her adult life looking for a love she never found. She kept trying. And at each dead end, she simply moved to another path, found another man. But the abandoned jar tells a new story. Having met the man who promises living water and eternal life, this woman has chosen a new path with a different ending. By inviting her into a life of worship in spirit and in truth, Jesus has quenched her thirst. He has, in and through himself, welcomed her onto the path to restoration with God. So she abandons her water jar, and she returns to town to tell her friends and neighbors, Most of you are here this morning because you have had this encounter with Jesus already. He's quenched your thirst, and you come to church in order to worship Him. But others of you haven't had this encounter. You're here not so much to worship as you are to watch and to consider, and I'm really glad you're here. I hope you'll take time to consider the challenge implicit in Jesus' conversation with the woman. And that's the challenge, to look back over the various paths you've taken to quench your thirst. Those empty jars, broken relationships, dead ends, frustrations. And to recognize in them a thirst more real and more profound than perhaps you've realized. Having recognized that thirst for what it is, I hope you will understand that Jesus' offer of living water The gift of everlasting life and a restored relationship with God, that's for you. It's an invitation to leave thirst behind and finally to be satisfied. That's the abandoned jar. The story continues with an uneaten meal in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It's really too bad that the woman wasn't there to witness this because I think she would have really enjoyed watching the disciples squirm just as much as she had as they tried to understand what Jesus was talking about. They went to buy him lunch but now he's not hungry, but he doesn't seem to have actually eaten anything, and they're understandably confused. whenever Jesus speaks in this passage, he seems to be operating on several levels at the same time. He can talk about mundane reality one moment, and deep eternal truth in the next, all while using the language of daily life. So what does he mean that God's will is his food? And what does this have to do with us? Well, those of you who know Jesus, who put your trust in Him, and sought to follow Him, you know what it's like to leave that water jar behind. Your deepest thirst has been quenched. But that doesn't mean you're content all the time. You have an ongoing hunger in your life. You found the water that wells up to eternal life, but you sense sense that there's more. If the abandoned water jar stands for the way in which Jesus quenches our deepest thirst, I think this uneaten meal stands for something else, for something more. I want you to notice here that the audience has changed. No longer is Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. He's talking to his disciples, to the ones that have been following him for quite some time already. Notice also that Jesus isn't just talking about the disciples, he's talking about himself. Even Jesus is hungry. The one without sin, the one who gives the water of life and quenches our deepest thirst. He's hungry for more than mere existence. He has a purpose and he's hungry to accomplish it. We're hungry for the same. Think of this as the practice of the Christian life or the outworking of our salvation, Our deepest human need is to be restored to God through Jesus Christ. But we aren't static creatures, are we? Daily life in a fallen world continues after we've been redeemed by Him. Our thirst has been quenched, but we're hungry for more. We're hungry to do the will of God, to conform our lives to His one day, one step, one discipline at a time. Now, I happen to know a surprising number of unhappy Christians. Many are unhappy because they think that sipping the water of eternal life is all there is to it. And having quenched their thirst, they just keep on eating and drinking as they always have in the past. They don't seek God's will. They don't ask what does it mean to follow Jesus or what does it look like to obey him as Lord. They call themselves Christians but they keep doing everything else just like they did before. They refuse to break off the affair. They keep drinking to excess. They still think that financial security is ultimate security. And you know they're unhappy as a result. I have to tell you, I get so tired of talking to Christians who refuse to admit that their unhappiness is due to the fact of their disobedience. They refuse to live their lives the way that God intended, and then they're surprised when things don't work out. And instead of taking responsibility, they blame God or they blame the people around them. They're hungry, but their diet is terrible. When Jesus said that his food was to do the will of God, he was repeating a well-known scriptural theme. It's captured in our reading from Deuteronomy 8. I want to read it to you once again. So this is Moses. He's speaking to the people of Israel as they prepare to enter the promised land. They're coming into the land of milk and honey, of living water. And they have a job to do. Here's what Moses says. Here's what God says through him. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you didn't know nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We human beings were hungry creatures. We're hungry creatures, but what satisfies our hunger isn't the last great meal that you had. The way we satisfy our hunger is to be. To to be fully human is by knowing and doing the will of God. In these words to Moses, God is not talking about finding your special purpose in life so that you can do the one thing that you're meant to do. This is not about self-discovery. This is about obeying God's commands. It's about seeking to conform your will to His It's about harvesting the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is all captured, I think, in what Jesus said to the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. As is usually the case with Jesus, there's another layer of meaning here. And he continues with a more specific lesson for the disciples, and ultimately, I think, for us. Verse 35. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. At this moment, I imagine Jesus pointing back down the path toward the Samaritan village, where a crowd of people could be seen making their way out toward the well. Maybe they were even wearing white in the heat of summer. Jesus goes on, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus seems to be saying to his friends, something like this, you think you're waiting for something more, for the next phase in this adventure, for some official sign that I really am the Messiah and the kingdom is truly mine, and then you'll be ready to act. But the time has come. It's here. It's now. And this crowd of Samaritans about to converge on us, they need to know the truth about me. 20 minutes ago, I sowed. Now you get to reap. You don't have to wait four months. Join me in telling the good news of God. Jesus is inviting the disciples into his work, his work of redemption, which is God's work, which is the joy of sharing that our constant thirst can be quenched and our deepest hunger satisfied in Jesus. He's asking them to jump right in to help him reap what he has sown in this town through the testimony of the woman. And he invites us to do the same. Part of our work, part of our purpose in life, part of what makes us more fully human is to share the good news about Jesus, to invite other people into the joy of salvation and the deep satisfaction of knowing God and being known by God. This is not some special task for advanced disciples or for clergy alone. It's for all of us who know the joy of our salvation. The woman at the well got this, didn't she? Someone pointed out to me a few weeks ago that in the Eastern Orthodox Church, she is celebrated as the first cross-cultural missionary of the gospel. And that, of course, is true this brand new convert she's doing the work of of a disciple she has joined in the sowing and the reaping even while the boys are standing around with uneaten food in their hands and the results are truly astonishing verse 39 many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me all that I ever did so when the Samaritans came to him they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It's incredible. Last week, we talked about the universal nature of the gospel message, that it is for everyone, for all time, and includes all things. That's the universal nature of the gospel. We also talked about the exclusive nature of the gospel message, that it is only through Jesus that we and the world around us can be reconciled to God. Well, it's in this final unexpected declaration that the Samaritans show that they understand these things. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He alone restores us to God. In him we quench our thirst, and by joining in his work we satisfy our hunger. Now, for those of you who want to believe this but aren't quite sure, let me just encourage you to follow the Samaritan's example. They listened to the testimony of the woman as you have listened to mine this morning, but they needed to see and hear Jesus for themselves. Go home. Take this Gospel of John. Read it all the way through and get to know him for yourself. He is the most compelling, consistent, compassionate man you will ever meet. And he is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible story where you met the woman at the well and revealed yourself to her. We thank you for the abandoned water jar and what it says about the gift we have to quench our thirst in you. We thank you for the uneaten meal and what it tells us about uh, meeting our deepest hunger and doing your will and joining in your work. And we thank you for this unexpected declaration that you are indeed the Savior of the world. May this truth, may this hope, may this promise animate us today. May we find our contentment in you. And may you be glorified in this place. Amen.